A couple of weeks ago, I talked about vulnerable children care in our English services. Last Sunday, we talked about vulnerable children care in our Spanish services. And I just want to thank you and let you know the response. We've had some response of people who are coming to an interest meeting for the first time, just saying, hey, I want to find out more about this. Um, as you know, we have active foster families in this church that need support friends to be wrapped. We had support friends from English service and Spanish service respond to the last couple of weeks. So that's incredible. That's people saying, we will link arms with you and walk this journey with you as you give your family to a child that might be in need. Here's something else. Uh, Chuck said it well. If you believe... By the way, I love the lackluster response of World Cup. Becky's like, what started? What are the opening ceremonies? (laughs) Chuck, that material would kill next hour. So come back. And just like you'll have them, you'll have everyone right in the palm of your hand with that. Um, or was I? Okay, here's where I was. Um, Chuck said it well. If you believe in what is going on with NBC, um, you know, again, this is a part of, of what we give to. And one of our responsibilities is to keep telling you um, just stories of how your investment is making an impact on, uh, on the community. Um, so here's one of them. Um, Jamie, how many meals are we, are we preparing for this next week? So listen to this. 32 meals are being prepared for um, youth that are, that are aging out of foster care. They're being prepared a Thanksgiving meal, and 32 of them are going to be delivered by the young adults of our church Wednesday night. Is that correct? I should look to Matt. When is that? Thursday. Thursday is Thanksgiving. That's a great time to deliver a Thanksgiving meal. This is why I'm not in charge of these things. Listen, 32 meals, um, and the Spanish service is by and large, I think, handling almost all of the food, but other community groups and and individuals are helping with centerpieces and some nice things and delivery. Um, So I just want to let you guys know that, that in our community, some aging out foster youth are being provided uh, a Thanksgiving meal because of the the care and obedience of this church. So that's just what generosity looks like in our little corner of the world. Um, little kiddos, you guys are out of here, um, off to class. Thank you for being in here with us. They're always so excited to leave. Some of you might be tempted to run out with the kids someday. <laughs> Honestly, no judgment. Um, listen, open up your Bible. Open up your Bible to Ephesians 2. That's where we're going to start. Our real text today is Ephesians 4, which we'll get to that. Um, but Ephesians 2 is a really good place to begin. Perhaps never before in history uh, have people been thinking more about the idea of walking than people do right now. Uh, There is so much data out there, and people are thinking about this all the time, and there are some really brilliant marketers that have got people thinking about walking and thinking, I need tools to help me walk. And so all kinds of people are thinking about steps and walking and all kinds of stuff. But I think you would agree that not every step you've ever taken is equal. This is one small step for man, one giant leap for what? For mankind. Who said that? Neil Armstrong. (laughs) Always, Always one, but our church has many. The year was 1969. Anyone know the date? July. I Googled it. I don't remember what I Googled. July something, uh, 1969. Um, Neil Armstrong stepping foot on the moon. 
Let me tell you about two more walks that, that may be some of the greatest walks in history. Let me take you back to the Old Testament. One is this. The Israelites have been gifted by God their freedom from slavery. Not only were they gifted their freedom, they were actually, um, they were like a plundering army, except that the Egyptians gave them their stuff to get out of town. They leave, they end up at the Red Sea, they have a pursuing army, Egyptians changed their mind. What did we just do? We just released our workforce. We just gave away our stuff. They are up against the Red Sea, and a pursuing army is coming towards them. Whether you're a Bible scholar or not, whether you're a Christian or not, group in church or not, you may have heard of the parting of the Red Sea. God takes the ocean in front of them, the sea in front of them, parts it, and he has them walk across on dry ground. Let me fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus is out walking on the water, and disciples are in a boat, the way that we all should be when we're out in a body of water. And one guy in the boat gets a crazy idea, right? He wants to go out to Jesus. What does Jesus do? Invites him out. Come on out. So in faith, Peter takes perhaps one of the most magnificent walks in all of human history. And he walks out to Jesus. An Old Testament example, a New Testament example. Here's what didn't happen either time. Imagine how God could have done this. Could God have not have just said, let me scoop you up by my invisible hand and lift you, Egyptians, over the Red Sea? Would that be a powerful, spectacular story? Of course it would be. He could have introduced something and said, you're going to love these. They're not going to be invented for a long time, but these are called jet skis. Everyone get on one, and you're going to zip across this ocean while the pursuing army is left without that. And then he could have like, just destroyed that technology until we caught up. A million ways he could have done it. What did he have them do? He had them walk. He parted the sea, and then he had them walk. How about with Peter? Peter says, Lord, let me come out to you. He sort of says, sure. Boom, teleport. He's right out next to him, right? What does he have him do? He has him walk out to him. Now, we've been talking a little bit about um, different genres and what they teach us. These are historical narrative. They're describing something that happened. Does this mean we should go to the ocean and wait for it to part? Say no. No, that's not the lesson. The lesson isn't go as a community or else we'd just be at the beach every week waiting with our Nikes on, ready to cross the ocean. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. However, we actually get a little snippet of how God works. We get a little peek into God's character and what he likes to do and some of the things that he allows to happen. Here's the way I'd say it. I'd say that God took something mundane and natural, and he made it unforgettable by making it supernatural. He does this in a whole bunch of different ways in our life. And we could just have a Thanksgiving testimony service just hearing about those things. And you'd hear people who today are on a mountaintop, and they just go, I just want to give God praise, because you would not believe the blessing raining down on me. And we would have people today in the valley of the shadow of death that are here at church saying, let me tell you about the view from this valley. God is magnificently glorious. And the truths that we stand on today are carrying me in a way I've never, ever been able to describe before. But it's true that God draws near the close to the brokenhearted. 
God takes the mundane and natural and makes it unforgettable by making it supernatural. Walk new is the title of this morning's message. These are examples of what we want to kind of dive into today. Last week we looked at our new birth. Today we look at our new walk. Just as it is incredibly vital to go back and say, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a true disciple? It's not just in name only. What happens at the new birth? It's the doctrine of regeneration. That's really vital. So it's vital to understand our part and God's part when it comes to living the new life. Now, with apologies to middle children and the youngest in the room, I'm a middle child married to a middle child, I am going to risk puffing up the head of the firstborns in the room even more, okay? So, so I apologize to all of you born after, but there is something, <laughs> the firstborns, already with your air of arrogance, you're looking down on me. Oh, you middleborn. You just don't get it. Listen, there's something really powerful about, about the first one to enter the family, whether that's by biological birth or by adoption or foster care or something. There's something so powerful that takes, that takes two and makes it three. Unless you had twins right off the bat, then you should be preaching. Um, but there, there just is. There's something really, really powerful about that. When my oldest son's birthday rolls around, I think back on those first moments. Uh, when Becky and I um, had our biological children, all of them were born at Good Samaritan Hospital. It's really cool that I still live right down the street from Good Sam. So I remember this all the time. And we, we, we took Curran out around March of uh, 1997, and we got him in the car seat. And I, I spent a massive amount of energy driving home carefully and being filled with road rage about anyone being within like a hundred yards of my car. It was not needed. I was not in control of how other people drove, but I was all of a sudden acutely aware, if you get near my baby and try to kill my baby with your car, I, I may lose my salvation, which I don't even theologically believe in. So I was just like driving home, white knuckled, because I wanted to get that baby safe at home. And then we, we got current inside. I remember we, we got in and we just kind of sat down and we're like, we're parents now. Woohoo! Exactly! <laughs> like, what are we supposed to do? Like, I have time off work. Like, he's not crying. Like, what do we do? And Becky knew all about this stuff. I was pretty clueless. Um, but it was really, really fun. It's a, it's a really, really fun thing. Uh, it's it parallels our spiritual new birth in a massive way. Jesus says, you must be born again. I'm born. Woohoo! It's my birthday. My very first one. Now what? All right. I don't know why I've been in pop quiz mode, but I'm in pop quiz mode again. This is the last one probably for a while, but take out your paper and this could be a, a team effort. If you want to turn to your neighbor and work as a team, do that. But how about this? How about top five things you would say to a brand new believer? Like, now what? What am I supposed to do? What should a brand new Christian do now that they're born again? Go. You have about 30 seconds to do this. So don't go deep. Just off the top of your head, write down five things you would have a new Christian do. You're working together. You can make one list. Ten seconds. Oh, it'd be so fun to be a teacher. Eric, Eric Saul, let me talk to you about that. Yeah, sure. 
Some of our teachers are like, Dave. All right, pencils down. Just kidding. You can keep them in your hand. Um, Here's what I want to do. I'm going to call out some people, and you have to give me one thing on your list. When I call the next person, if it's already been mentioned, don't mention it again. See if you have something different, okay? Um, let, me, let me start up here. Team Isaiah Eli, were you guys paying attention? What'd you put? Give me one thing. Just one. God's story. What does that mean? Tell, tell them about what God said. So begin to, to teach them the Bible and kind of what God's doing. Love it. What else? Uh, Josh, I'm going to pick on you because you're in my, in my eyesight right here. Give me one thing. Uh, read John. Read John. Yeah. All right. And for anyone new to the program, that's the gospel of John in the New Testament. Okay. Read John. They're like John Steinbeck, you know, John Elway, like which John? I mean, you got to be really simple. You got to break it down. Uh, so read the gospel of John. Um, that's, that's really good advice. How about someone else? Uh, Ted. Find a good church and get plugged in. Love it. Uh, let me pick on... Um, <laughs> no one's making eye contact. Matt. I'm going to pick on Matt. Okay. So, so not just a church at large, but maybe in a community. Chuck. Share the news with other believers. Share the news. That's right. Be a witness. Okay. Um, anyone want to share something that hasn't been mentioned yet? Yeah. Christian. Baptism. Absolutely. Yeah, Dave. Pray. Mike. Ask me more questions. Like as, as a believer talking to a brand new believer. One more. Yeah, Bruce. Read your Bible, pray every day. You should make a song out of that. Okay, listen. Are the, I mean, these are all just great answers. Was, it, was there a lot of crossover? Just kind of nod your head if there was some crossover with that. A ton of crossover with this. Yeah, in the back. I'm sorry, say it again. Read, a proverb every day. Read, a pro- read one proverb a day. That's right, there's 31 proverbs. There's usually at least 31 days in, in a month. So, so read a proverb a day. Listen, these are, all, these are all really, really good things to say. I, w- I would just affirm everything that you've said. Um, I made my list of five, and then I made, I made one more. I gave myself a bonus one. I'm the one making the quiz, so I can do these things. Here's, here's the last one I added to my list. Here it is, ready? keep going. Just keep going. Like the things that we just talked about, do those things and keep going. Very much like vows on a wedding day, which are very, very important. What's actually more important is walking in those vows tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, right? So just keep going with all of these things. Let me show you this passage, Romans chapter 6, 4. By the way, you're going to get tons and tons of scripture thrown at you today. We're going to linger a lot in Ephesians 4. That's our text. We're not going to cover all of the chapter, but they're all written down for you. So some of you who are like, wait, I didn't get that. It's, on, it's already on your handout. It's there. Um, there's a huge Bible study sitting there waiting for you if you would like to kind of dig into this some more. But look at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Christian mentioned baptism. That's one of the things that a new believer should be told to do. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, catch this, we too might walk in newness of life. 
so we too might walk in newness of life. Hear me before, before we get to anything else about what we are to do in terms of walking this new life together. Just hear this really clearly. That it's because Jesus was raised from the dead. It's that Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, we, can, we get in on this new life. It's not just that we're baptized and we sit around like little babies. We're taught to walk. We get to walk in this newness of life. How? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. So walk new. What is my part in that? What am I supposed to actually do? I'm really glad you asked. Let me start the answer by talking about seeds. Okay? Surely you've had this happen where four friends that you know or four sibling groups all get saved, maybe get saved at the same time, make some kind of profession of faith, um, walk an aisle, profess like, yeah, I'm in. I want to be one of those Jesus people. I want to be a Christian. I want to become a true believer, whatever the terminology was. And yet over time, all four of them grew at different rates of speed or dropped out at different rates and times. I've been a youth pastor for a really long time. Yesterday, we were just looking through some old family movies and videos together as a family. It was just really fun. I saw a lot of you, actually. Uh, Some of us had more hair. Some of us had not gray hair. So um, it was just really fun to kind of look back on time. But I saw a bunch of youth kids that I had had over the years. What a thrill to see Catherine Scott, who's sick today. She was supposed to be singing. But what a thrill to see Catherine Scott as a high schooler serving inner city East Palo Alto children at Camp Maymac. She was up on stage just, just leading the games and leading things, and here she is walking with Christ. So maybe in your mind you've thought through, wow, those four friends all got saved at the same time. Why are they not still walking with the Lord? Or why do they seem dormant as a seed? People have loads of explanations for that. People want to point to all kinds of storylines. Jesus has an answer for it, and it involves seeds. If you want to follow along, you can, but if, if not, just... Look and circle Matthew 13 and come back to it later. Matthew 13, Jesus tells this story. He says, what do you make of this? A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some of it fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly, but didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds and it came up, but it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Jesus tells this story, and what I want to just point out a little bit, he actually says, go and ponder this story. Go study this story. The disciples are like, why are you talking in stories? What does that mean? And he tells them the meaning of this parable. So we have the story and the interpretation in Matthew 13 all sitting there together. Here's a couple things I want to point out. Number one is this. What changed was not the seed, but where the seed landed, right? The seed was good through and through. That's not the variable here. The variable is where it landed. It leaves us asking, it leaves me asking, this is the power of story, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil did the good seed of the Son of Man preaching the gospel land on when it landed on me? There is a God part to this planting and harvest, and there's an our part, things that we do to cooperate with God. Now, according to Jesus, here's Jesus' interpretation of Jesus' story. Would you agree he has an authority on his own story? I think so. 
He tells the disciples later on, he says this, the seed on the road is the good news that is never taken in. In other words, it remains on the surface. It's really good news that lands on us, but doesn't really sink in. The seed that falls on the gravel are like those who take it in with great enthusiasm, but when hard times come, the emotion dissipates and there's no real rooting that takes place. The seed in the weeds are those who are focused on today's headlines and today's sales, but they miss the real life. And then there is seed that falls on the good soil and it produces a massive harvest. Do you note that one in four were true disciples according to these four seeds? Jesus says, many are called, few respond. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Part of the description of why I look back on years of youth ministry and I go, wow, this guy ended up with some prison time. This person is on his third marriage. This person's serving the Lord really faithfully, and I know that. This person's over here struggling in their faith. Part of why there are three out of four in your life that may not be responding to the gospel, it may not be with how you're sharing the gospel. Parents, hear me. It may not be with how you're parenting and trying to pass on the faith. It could be Jesus' explanation that there are just different kinds of soils. And there's a God part that's mysterious to this that we sit in awe and wonder and we recognize and celebrate it's below our pay grade. But there are other parts that we cooperate with and that we do. Here's another thing I want to point out about this, and that is this, that time reveals what really went on in the unseen realm. If we're talking seeds, we're talking under the ground, right? You plant a seed, you don't think about it for a while, miraculous stuff is happening under here. But if we're talking in the human being realm, it's underneath, not underground, but underneath, the unseen realm. So what is going on right now with people who are professing Christ might be four different results. Time reveals what's going on underneath. Time reveals what's going on underneath the ground or inside of the soul. And I love what Chuck said. There's review time and there's new material time. I think this morning, some of this will be new material for a handful of you. I think for maybe most of you even, this is review. But it's the kind of review that's worth sitting with, not just once a quarter or once a year. And do not check out because, oh, I get this idea. This is the kind of This is the kind of review that's helpful for a Christian, I believe, daily. To daily sit with and think about these things. What I want to teach or remind you is to rest in what you should be resting and strive after what you should be striving for. So that you won't get confused and either burn out or wear out or freak out, depending on your personality. Some of these people are burned out or worn out or freaking out about the Christian life because the promises that are being fulfilled that we just sang about are not being rested in. Hey, this isn't you. This is God at work in you. You can't possibly bring this about to make this happen. So stop freaking out. Some people are misconstrued and misunderstanding what they should be doing. So, Here's the the question we're getting at. 
what can I do today and perhaps every day to live out this born-again newness of life that I get to walk in because of Christ? The title this morning says it all. These are both good words and they're both biblical words. And my outline is quite simple. Walk and new. So we're going to take a little snippet of each of these. um, And we'll start in Ephesians chapter 2. Walk. So walk describes the Christian life. Again, a little bit of Christianese if you're sort of new to things. If someone says, hey, how is your walk? What they are asking you about is how is your life with God right now? Your Christian walk. Walking is the pace of life that Jesus kept. Jesus came at any time and point in history, God could have chosen to do this. He came at a time when people walked places most of the time. So he walks at the pace of the human body. He walks at the pace uh, that we all still do. No matter how vast our technology is, we're all still walking. Walking is daily. Walking is rather unimpressive. Unless you're closing your rings, you rarely think about walking but it's exceedingly powerful when you pair walking with time and consistency. Walking can just be a tremendously powerful thing. I know I said Ephesians 2, so just listen carefully. Circle Galatians. It's written down in your notes. Listen to Galatians 5. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Walking. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. One of the things that I do with my family is we go out a lot. We walk around a lot. And whether you're in an urban setting or suburban setting or sort of a wilderness setting, it's really important that my kids understand some of the parameters because I'm charged with keeping them safe. I really like them. I want them around for a long time. So sometimes, Cassie has the weirdest look on her face. That's a good thing. I like you, Cassie. So sometimes as we're walking along, around, just around the block, my kids will ask, can I go to the corner? And I say, sure, I can still see you at the corner, and I know there's not a bunch of cars backing up right here. You can go to the corner. Then we have a long stretch, and they say, can I go? They wouldn't ask to go to the next corner because they've already heard the answer a hundred times. No, you can't. But go four houses down. Remember, people right now are coming home from work. They're flying into their driveway, so just be watchful for that. So I've taught them some things. When we're out camping and hiking and walking around, uh, sometimes we have walkie-talkies. And I say, you can go as far as you still have a radio signal, which leads to a really fun thing on a hike, which is checking in all the time. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I still got you. You're right there. Keep going, right? And so they have a little bit of leash, a little bit of freedom. But then there are times where I need them really close. One of my most stressed out, if you want to see angry Dave, like just stressed Dave, it's the mistrail hike at Yosemite. And there are a few portions on that hike where I need some of my more gifted at impulsivity kids next to me and holding my hand. And I need them on the mountainside, not on the gently sloping gravel slide that leads to their sure death. That is stressed out Dave right there. I just, I'll, I'll give it to you. That's where I am. I want to I make sure that they are keeping right in step with me. Do you see how huge problems come if we get way out ahead of God the Father? Or just lagging way, way, way behind. Keep in step with the Spirit is this this picture. I want to guarantee you that all of you know how to walk. Not just physically, but all of you know how to walk just in this Christian walk. It's not really just purely a Christian walk. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Look at it with me. Walk is simply how you live day to day. 
It says, and you were dead in the trespasses of sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us are born to walk. We are born to live our life a certain way. And by default, we are sons, daughters of disobedience, following the course of this world. The passage goes on to say, but God made us alive. This is cause for absolute raucous celebration uh, every single day of your life, genuinely. Like, there should just be moments. I, there are moments that hit me, sometimes at really awkward times, where I'm just like really joyful, really overwhelmed with the goodness of God. Sometimes it's like when things are going really terrible, I'm in a line that I shouldn't be in a line for or, or whatever. I'm kind of going crazy. And I just go, my name's written in the book of life right now. How amazing is that? God's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That's true of me right now. I am a beloved son of God right now. Like there, it just hits me at times. You guys have that experience? Isn't that good? It's good to like just set your mind on those things. Ephesians 4 then, so flip over two chapters, sets out a new way of walking. So we all once walked in the pattern of darkness. That is you today, definitively. I don't know if that's you. God does. You might have a clue, but all of us walked, same starting point, after the course of this world. It's the default position that we're in. We talked about that last week a little bit. Ephesians 4 sets out a new way of walking. Here's what I would do. I just want to give you two verses. Please read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is really amazing. We just don't have time to cover it. But I'm going to give you guardrails. It's sort of a do and a don't. Okay, so I'm going to highlight the far left and right side of things, sort of guardrails to keep us in the middle. Is the Bible just a bunch of do's and don'ts? Of course not. But are there do's and don'ts in the Bible? Absolutely. Just like our family isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts, but we have do's and don'ts in our family. Ephesians 4.1, look at it with me. Here's a do. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul writing to the church. Paul writing to disciples. Christian, you're born again. You are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Doesn't that sound high and noble? Isn't that something you want? Like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. Wow, that sounds awesome. Caution, he's writing it from prison. He's not being metaphorical when he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's literally in prison. So sometimes walking in a manner worthy of the calling actually makes your immediate earthly life, like just if you look at it without God in the picture, way worse. It goes on to lay out a whole bunch of context to that. Skip down to verse 17. So what are we supposed to do? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How do we walk new? We walk in a manner worthy of the calling. God has not left us without witness. He tells us what that looks like. Verse 17. Now... This I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. There's the do and don't of walking. Walk in the newness of life. Do not walk the way that the Gentiles do. Those who are not part of God's plan, those who are not filled with the Spirit in the futility of their minds. All right, so loads of context here. We read around those verses to get an understanding. 
I'll tell you how cults form and just crazy Christian conversations form. Is when people read a verse because of their short attention span, they say, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Got it! And then they go define what that means. Okay, first point. I know God wants me exceedingly happy today, right now. He wants me to live my best life. He wants me to have a full bank account and full health. I need to go pursue that at all cost, right? So, so you can grab one chunk of this, stop reading, and get way off base with it. How about on the negative side? Do not walk after the course of the Gentiles. Don't walk as the Gentiles do. Well, that could lead to some other crazy ideas about it. God gives us context of what those things look like. So discover the do's and don'ts. Get clarity on what God means by do and don't. And then simply walk. What does that look like? It means keep living your life hour by hour, day at a time, which is how us humans have to live life. We're not outside of time. We're stuck in the middle of it. So we just keep walking. We start living our life this way and keep going. And then we adjust where things are needed. By the way, this is our theme for um, community groups this year. We sort of have a new theme each sort of school season. And get moving really ties into this. Walk, people. Like, walk. Get moving. Don't sit around if God is calling you to act. Let me tell you something that Christians do. People say, I'll pray about it. Sometimes God may be saying, stop praying. Go be the answer to your prayer. I'm putting this burden on you not to beseech me more. I've heard you. Go and do something about it. How about this? Sometimes people hide behind learning more. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever felt like you don't know enough to go do what you feel burdened about? Of course you have. All of us have. How about this idea? Be faithful with what you know right now. Trusting God will give you more as needed. I hope as you share your faith. Who said share your faith? Was that Chuck? Chuck. A Christian who, I thought Chuck was going to say give, by the way. Because, because that's a genuine thing. Share what you have. Right? Share the gospel. Share your life. Share your heart. Share your knowledge. It's like itty bitty when you first start off. What do you know? Well, I know chapter, two of, uh, chapter 1 and 2 of, of the gospel of John. But I learned from my friend Josh that it's a gospel, and he wasn't talking about John Elway. So I'm, I'm on the right track. Share what you have, right? Begin giving right at the very beginning. All right, so we're to walk. God commands us to do the walking. He will not do it for us. We're to walk new. So let's think about this word new now for a second. And I just want to discuss a couple of key terms that I pray that like mature Christians, and, and not just mature, maturing Christians will learn this. This is so important to learn. This is basically what we're covering in these last two weeks. Okay? The idea of justification and the idea of sanctification. Now in a very, very simple way, um, this New City Catechism that you've heard me sort of promoting and, and talking about um, lays this out for our kids. We were reviewing some of this yesterday because I knew, we were, I said, hey, we're talking about this on Sunday. Let's review this question. And our kids, actually my eight-year-old got it more word perfect than I did. I was like, no, 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 it's not that part. And I'm like, oh yeah, it is that part. Good job, eight-year-old. But these are really, really simple tools to hold on to. Justification, Christian, hear me. Justification is your declared righteousness before God. 
That's what happens at regeneration. That will never be taken away from you. That is not dependent on how you're doing right now. It, doesn't, it isn't affected in some way by you being at church or not being at church. So what's sanctification? Sanctification is a lifelong process. It is your gradual growing righteousness. Last week we talked more about justification, that at the new birth, whenever that is in God's mystical plan, boom! Child, you now have my name. Child, you now have my inheritance. Child, you have a place at my table. Child, you have my presence. I'll never, ever leave you. That's gold to hang on to. Rest in that, receive that. Do not try to earn that. Sanctification is your gradual growing righteousness. God promises to form himself in us. And I'm going to show you today how, that, how we cooperate with that. Walk new with the subtitle of keep in step with the Spirit. You see where I'm getting these verses from Romans 6, from Galatians 5. Is needed because of this. Surely your experience bears this out. Here's a quote from a guy named Paul David Tripp. He says, although the power of sin is broken, the presence of sin still remains. You ever wonder why Christians don't don't act like Christians all the time? This is it. The power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin still remains. Why are two Christian people having problems in their marriage? Why is it hard uh, to raise godly kids who are both professing Christians? Why is it hard to work together if they're both professing Christians? Because of this. The power of sin is broken, but the presence of sin still remains. So God is holy, so he can't just tolerate it. He can't just say, well, let's just let it sit there. But God is good, so he provides for what we need to remove it. Jot down this word. This may be new to some of you. Sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace. It's everyday active transformation. We all would say we need grace to be saved. We need grace to forgive. We need grace to to pray. Grace to receive forgiveness. Sanctifying grace and we know what sanctification is now, is that grace in God in us at work. Just that everyday transformation that's going on in us. I torture my kids with really old bands sometimes. There's a band called Vigilantes of Love. You haven't heard of them. They're out of Georgia. The author, Bill, is... I want him to sing at my funeral. I hope he's still alive when I die amazing lyricist. You'll you'll listen to this guy for 10 years and still pick up on things. Here's this great line. Ready? We all want to change things, but can we change ourselves? We all want to change things, but can we change ourselves? He just writes of the raw humanity like, yes, that immediately lands on me. That's exactly right. Think about man's reform. Not man the gender, just mankind. There's political reform, social reform, uh, reform, theological reform, educational reform, medical reform, personal reform. I'll tell you what mankind's reform often looks like, and we just went through another voting cycle, so we see it. It's taking the pieces and shuffling them around. Man's reform is always very incomplete. Hear me clearly. I think these are worth talking about. I think it's worth discussing reform. William Wilberforce discussed reform around the slave trade in long time ago England. 
Martin Luther King did the same with buses in Montgomery, Alabama. So reform is needed. But wouldn't you agree we're limited as, as, as human beings? We are just limited with what we can really change. In part because of that line that undoes us. It's shadows and mirrors. Here's what God's reform is. It's truly, infinitely creative. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Another translation says, His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before Him, that we should walk in them. There's that word again. We're to walk in this infinitely creative, ever new life that God is giving to us. Today is a gift like none other. It just feels like another Sunday. It just feels like another morning where you woke up. Maybe you did the same routine of personal hygiene. Thank you, by the way, for that. But it's actually a day like none other. It's new. And we're walking new. We're cooperating with God in this. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. We love this phrase. I had someone say to me this week, he said, man, I, I come because of that phrase. I know every week that I can just come as I am. What does that mean? It means don't try and clean yourself up and get new before you show up at church. You'll never come, ever. So you come as you are. But Jesus is alive and well, and Jesus is on the move. And if he says, follow me, and you take him up on that, you will not stay the same. Amen? We walk new. We're walking. We're going somewhere. You don't meet up for a hike. I saw a bunch of cyclists yesterday at Almaden Park. You don't meet up and just sit around all dressed up in your cycling gear, your hiking gear. You meet up so you can go. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. When you follow Jesus, you're on the move. So at the new birth, Jesus taught, uh, taught us in, in John chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, he, God's always expanding our minds of what our limited, shrunk-down version of what God is doing to be. Everyone's clearly born. Jesus said something staggering. All living people must be born again if they want to truly live. It's not too strong of a statement to say you're a walking zombie, spiritually speaking, if you aren't a Christian. Jesus' words, not mine. Every one of you clearly born, some way, shape, or form, you all must be born again. What a staggering uh, scope that is. Wes King, one of my favorite artists, again, kind of dated, but he's amazing. This makes sense because we understand what born again is. This lyric says this, born in 66, died in 79, raised from the dead that same year. I put my life on the vine. Born of the first man's seed, that's Adam, human beings, died to the life that was mine. We all once walked in that manner of life. Raised from the dead with the second man, that's Jesus Christ. I put my life on the vine. As a Christian, I can read this and see those lyrics and go, I know immediately what he's talking about because I've lived it. He's actually telling my story. The day we receive Christ is the day we die to our old self and are raised to newness of life. Jesus says, follow me. I'll tell you what some of the most uh, successful Silicon Valley people think about. Where? How? What specifically am am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to stop doing? Where are we going? How long will it all take? What should I pack? We want to know the details of all that. I think there's times Jesus just says, shh, just follow me. Just start, just start walking. Remember we said this last week. He didn't say, figure me out. He said, follow me. 
Come be with me. Come be with me today. The rest of your life will be spent walking in this new life. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is shift metaphors a little bit, but it's equally simple and equally daily. It's that of getting dressed, okay? Getting dressed and undressed. Getting dressed must be really, really important. All of you did that today. Again, thank you. (laughs) Highly, highly recommend that. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us some do's and don'ts of walking, and now it talks about putting on and putting off the old self, new self. Verse 22 of chapter 4, follow along with me. He says, you were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former nature of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. We hear it plain as day. Put off something, put on something. Here and elsewhere, the Bible begins to lay out whole categories of things of what we're to put off today, what we're to put on today. But I want to show you that God is both at work in you and he requires participation from you. Okay? I'm not going to go through this slow. You can take a screenshot of this if you would like. This is an old far side cartoon that this guy decided to turn into a real life thing. I want to show you some pairings of scripture that show how this works. What is God's part? What is my part? I want you to think justification and sanctification here, okay? Listen to this. Those in Christ have already put on Christ. That's what Galatians 3 tells us. Those in Christ are commanded to put on Christ. Are those at odds? No. They just round out the picture of what's already and not yet. Those in Christ have already put on the new self or the new man, some translations say. Those in Christ are instructed to put on the new self and the new man. Again, are those at odds? No, they don't mean different things. They round out. They take our vision of what God's doing and expand it. How about putting off? Those in Christ have already put off the old self. And those in Christ are instructed to put off the old self. We just read that in Ephesians chapter 4. This is woven all through the scriptures. God's part, our part, our part. God's part. I'm impressing upon you the importance of resting in the finished work that you have nothing to do with achieving while simultaneously striving at the good work God has given us to walk in. I need to rebuke a group of you for a moment. There are some of you who, in thinking you're helping your dog, are hurting your dog. You are taking your dog for a daily walk in a stroller. (laughs) You're repurposing the baby Bjorn that you're supposed to carry your infant child in, and there's a dog in there. Now listen, this is not good dog ownership. Have you come around a stroller and said, how, yeah, like it's a dog in there. 
I think people are thinking they're being really kind and sweet to their dog. They're not. You're crippling your dog. Now, I contrast that with a story of a guy uh, near, near Alberton Lake that was bombing down a mountain bike, uh, down a mountain on a mountain bike, and he had a yellow lab that had to be 60, 70 pounds. And I can't remember if he was like, the dog either had his paws here and the guy's riding down like this, or he was on his back or something. And he's like, on your left. And me and the family are hiking. We're like, vroom. And, and, uh, and this guy was saying, like, I think we were talking in the parking lot, that, that his dog has like, endurance issues and, and he only can go for so far. What, a, what an amazing picture of God the good father. God's not a bad dog owner, okay? God will not carry you where you should be walking. The only time he'll carry you if it's helping you. There are times it will help you to just be totally carried by God. But almost all the time, when he takes you on walks, <laughs> you're to be walking. And guess what? It's not only good for you, it's, it's, it feeds you in ways you can't imagine. So, what if we're praying to God, going, God, it's so hard to walk. And God's the good dog owner saying, no, walk, you'll, you'll get it. You'll figure this out. And other times that we're uh, wanting the other way. All right, let me call the band back up. And let me leave you with one clear action item, okay? A really tangible to-do. And don't, don't think past this just because it's not tangible in the sense that I can physically do something. This is inner heart work. It's a spiritual practice that is so helpful. As you get dressed tomorrow, I want you to reckon. What does reckon mean? That's like a term that means to consider, to think about, to ponder. I want you to reckon, to think about this fact. If in fact you are in Christ, before you even get dressed in the morning, maybe say this out loud. I am alive to God today. I am dead to sin today. I think for at least a year, probably the better part of a couple of years, this was my daily prayer. Let me tell you where I got it. Romans 6.10. Just listen carefully. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these truths. Thank you, God, that these statements that we can literally put out into the atmosphere to let our own hear, ears hear is hearing what you say is true about us every single day. God, may we individually and we collectively cooperate with what you're doing in us and walk in this newness of life. Amen.